everybody. I'm, I'm Pastor Bruce. Good to see you here, and I'm grateful that we're here in the house of the Lord where its furnaces are working and it's a little warmer. So praise the Lord, and it'll get warmer as time goes on. Uh, welcome to worship this morning on this week before Christmas. So happy almost Christmas, right? right. Hope you're uh, relaxed and at peace today. We are here to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, to enjoy each other's company that God has brought us together to have today. And for all of you online, welcome. We pray that the Holy Spirit will touch all of your hearts, too. We'd like to begin with the bell choir, going to lead us into worship. Just prepare our hearts for the Lord's presence here. Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you, Lord, for drawing us together for worship this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit's presence here. Lord, we want to celebrate you today. We want to lift up your name. We want to give you thanks and praise and glory. May your Holy Spirit truly minister to all of our hearts this season, Lord God of the Christmas holidays that sometimes has its ups and downs. Some of us feel excited. Some of us are feeling lonely, perhaps, feeling kind of blue. Lord, we pray that whether we're rejoicing or whether we're sorrowing this morning, Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit move all of our hearts to embrace you dearly and with great love because we know how much you love us. We know that through faith in Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven, that we have been declared right by you, by your grace, a free gift that we can love one another and love you too. And God, fill now our hearts with your joy, your strength, your encouragements. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing. joy this is that carol where we do a little echo you know joy 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 so we're gonna practice that little echoey thing <laughs> okay here we go
sounded wonderful. Praise God. Thank you for your joy. Dennis, Marla, going to light our candles this morning for us. We're going to get him a microphone. Can you hand him that? Yep. Good morning. We're uh, Dennis and Marla Concer, and these are my cousin's kids, Landon and Micah. Want to read that? Romans five one verse uh, uh, Romans uh, Romans chapter five verse one and eleven. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we uh, we have peace with God, Th- though our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have grant- gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in in our sufferings because we know that suffering uh, produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts, hearts by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who ha- whom has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for the righteous, th- for the righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be 
how much more shall we be saved sa uh, since we have been justified by his, uh, we, we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if we, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have been, ha have been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been received reconciliation. His, lies, his eyes lit up when he said, microphone. <laughs> Shall we pray? Dear Father, you are our joy and delight. In Christ Jesus, you have given us hope, peace, love, the forgiveness of sins, and the assurance of our salvation and eternal life. You and you alone make everything right, even in the hardest moments of our lives. Words can't describe the joy you have placed in our hearts but it's wonderfully strong and reassuring because it's the result of your work and presence in us. Our hearts rejoice in you this morning. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Should we stand one more time? Let's stand up. Let's sing one more song. Mary, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power and we were God astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place, and with true love and brotherhood. Each other now embrace this holy tide of Christmas, all others dark deface. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Please be seated. I'd like to invite the uh, folks that are going to be introduced to the congregation. They've joined the church. They've met with the elders, and they've been through the new members class. If you want to come on up here and just stand right up here with me, that'll be great and uh, wonderful. The, uh, just a couple of quick announcements while we're finishing assembling up here. Um, after worship, there are crafts available for kids down in the fellowship hall. Also, after worship, there's a congregational meeting for election of elders, deacons, and a trustee. And then, uh, just to let you know, next Sunday, there is a 10 o'clock a.m. and 7 p.m. candlelight service. 
So we hope that you'll be able to come if you're in the area here and um, invite friends and family along. And then our nursery staff are kind of dispersed out in various ministries like Bells and et cetera. So even though the nursery is open and it's warm, uh, we're not staffing that with the uh, church uh, folks, volunteers this morning. So parents, you're free to use that space, but otherwise you're also very welcome to stay here because there was a baby crying in the manger after all uh, that Christmas day, and we love to hear those voices. So that's up to you. So wait a minute. It is staff today. Well, how cool is that? Yay. Praise the Lord. All right. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, I just want you to mention your names just briefly here. Uh, my name's Chuck. And my wife, Charity, and Charity. our son, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> Cutie pie, right? Yeah, totally cool. I'm Polly Dye. Polly? Carol Williams. Carol Williams. So I hope you get to say hello to them after church today. Make sure you visit with them. I know that with the congregational meeting, there might be a little bit of a squeeze in time, but there's a lot of goodies down in the fellowship hall. I'm not trying to detract from the meeting afterwards, but if you want to run down there, get a coffee and a cake and whatnot and come back up, please do. So I just wanted to read through those four statements that go with new members, and it's good for all of us to recall what these are and to maybe hear them for the first time. So as members of the church, here's what we ask of all of us, whether we're even attenders, it doesn't matter. This is all part of life in Jesus. I'll protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members and attenders, by refusing to gossip, and by following the leaders as they follow Christ. Well, okay. I will share in the responsibilities of my church by praying for its health and growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. Praise the Lord. I'll serve the ministries of the church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by the pastor and teachers, and by developing a servant's heart. I include myself. Um, and I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving regularly. Praise God. Well, I want to pray for you and celebrate what the Holy Spirit is doing. And it's a great treasure, isn't it? How do we know what we're doing in the ministries of the church? It's not programs. It's people. How did I know there would be even staffing in the nursery today? It wasn't program. It was people. So God's at work, and we're so grateful for all of what the Lord is doing. So let's pray and give God's thanks. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so happy and so thrilled to see what you do in our lives. And God, you direct us, you move us, you place us where you want us to be. You use our hands and our feet and our voices, Lord, for your glory. And dear God, we thank you so very much for these four or five, really. Charlie's here smiling. He's a cutie. God, thank you so much for your leading in our lives as a church. May we be a blessing to them, and may they be a blessing to us, because now, Lord God, there's a declaration of commitment and family, unity here at the church, that we can rejoice and celebrate you, Lord, together. That's your gift to us, and we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit's leading and the treasures we have in one another, and you especially. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'll give you a hug. Even if you're not a hugger, I will hugger. give you a hug. All right. Yay. Praise God. This is wonderful. Charlie, how you doing, buddy? I like your hat. That's so cool. Yeah. Welcome to the church. Check out the bow tie, too. Totally classic. Very, very cool. Thank you so much.
That was fun. Uh, the teachers are waiting now for the kids for Sunday school. Gabe's here with the middle and high schoolers, so feel free to head down the hallway. If you want to stay, you're welcome to stay. Um, we're always happy about whatever choices you make. All right. Angels and Shepherds. It's based on a Bohemian carol that is called Come All Ye Shepherds. It's not as well known as most of our Christmas carols, but I think you might recognize the tune.
wonderful. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, I'd like to invite everybody to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Famous section. Isaiah is probably quoted more than anybody else in the New Testament. It's, it's really phenomenal. And especially in the book of Romans, Paul quotes Isaiah frequently. I think for this Christmas time, you'll recognize several parts of it as being very relevant to our lives and the life of the church. So I'd like to read for us Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. When I read the latter part of that, how many of us think of Handel's Messiah? Yes. Right? Immediately. Well, let's pray so that doesn't eclipse everything else. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word this morning. We pray now that your Holy Spirit really bring it home, that we really appreciate the darkness, the dark time that they were in, that we can see the link to our time, that, Lord God, we read about dark times. We are experiencing, perhaps, personally dark times. We ask, Lord God, that the light of Jesus will truly light up our hearts and our minds and our spirit, that you will be the light to the world in and through us, that we will find your encouragement today, that we will place our cares upon you because you are almighty God. And thank you so much for the cross, that when Jesus died, he died for us, that we could live. Taking our sins upon himself, Lord God, that we could be lifted free of them. And when he rose from the grave, Father, we know that that assures us of our eternal life forever with you. God, thank you so much for giving us your son, our Emmanuel. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, I do think of Handel's Messiah, and when I ask, let's try not to let that eclipse everything, that's where my brain went when I started working on this some weeks back. I thought immediately, how many of us have sung the Messiah? Yeah, yeah. I was a first tenor. I was toast by the time that was done. Man, it is up there. And, uh, but I loved it. It's, it's full of power and glory and wonder. I mean, the words that pop to mind is, for unto us, you know, a son is given, right? All that. It's all there. For unto us a child is born, and his name will be called Wonderful. You know, it's really punchy, isn't it? 
And he goes on to say, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right out of our text this morning. Beautiful words, punchy, gorgeous music. I went online and I said, how many songs have been written or renditions produced from just these seven verses? And I counted 180 of them. Yeah, this is a very popular stretch. Not all of them are quoting from what Handel's Messiah does, but in all of those seven verses, writers of lyrics have found inspiration in these words. But there's more to it than meets the eye. Did you notice the mentions of darkness and gloom and doom? They were living in a time of gloom and doom. And in order to appreciate what's going on, we're in the, the zone many, many centuries before Jesus, 700 or so years before Jesus, 1,000 years, in that, that time frame, 700 years-ish. And in this, I want to give us a little bit of background as to who's who, what's going on behind the scenes that was going on in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, leading us into chapter 9. And we are in the 700s BC, and I want to just introduce a few of the characters, I call them. First of all, they'll track through on the overhead here if we get the next name up. Okay, this is the, the split. Um, when David was king, it was one kingdom, and it was all called Israel. Then Solomon came along, and he enjoyed that, but after Solomon, the kingdom split into the northern ten tribes, which is the blue area there, and the southern kingdom of Judah, and you could throw Benjamin in there too because it sort of sits on the border between the two. And so it was a divided kingdom, and they didn't really get along well with each other. There was a lot of animosity, and at the time that uh, this was written, there were certain key players involved, and I want to introduce them to you. So first of all here, we've got King Ahaz. He's the king of Judah, the southern part. He is not a good king. He's an Israelite, but he's very pagan in his beliefs. He did all kinds of things. He, he, I'll just read a few of them for you. He sacrificed some of his own children to pagan gods. You wouldn't imagine that from an Israeli, but you just can't imagine how bad the leadership was at the time. He had a pagan altar in Damascus rebuilt for his own temple in Jerusalem. So he totally scandalized everything. And while he was king, the northern tribes of Israel attacked in league with the country of Aram, which is Syria today. So Israel, the northern part of Israel and Syria united to attack the southern part, Judah, to wipe out King Ahaz. That's what he was facing. Now, Isaiah came along and said to Ahaz, trust God. God will not let you go down. He will not let your nation be defeated. And what did Ahaz do? He appealed instead to the big superpower of the day, which was Assyria. And he said to the Assyrian king, if you'll help me, you'll, I'll be your servant. We'll be under your tutelage and we'll pay you money. In fact, he paid off the king of Assyria with gold and silver vessels from the temple. So it was a traumatic disaster, cost him a tremendous amount of money. The temple was desecrated. Everything was going downhill. Did he trust God? No. Instead, he appealed to the humanity around him and the might of their arms. He died at age 40, and nobody was sad to see him go. They didn't even give him a tomb in the area of the kings. He was so disliked and did such evil in the eyes of everybody. 
The northern king at the time, the guy in charge of Israel, now you get confused maybe, there's the entirety of both nations was called Israel, is called Israel. Also the northern half, that northern ten tribes, that's also called Israel. Context is everything. So Pekah is the king of the northern ten tribal area called Israel. And Pekah also wasn't a good king. He actually murdered his predecessor to become king. Uh, and then there's justice in the end because he was also murdered uh, to uh, have a successor. And that successor was the very last king of, of Israel because Assyria came through and wiped out the northern ten tribes. You know, the lost ten tribes of Israel. This is kind of the context for this. Very dark, very gloomy. Um, and he's the one that wanted to take out the southern tribes, along with the help from this next person, King, let's see the next one, King Rezin, uh, Syria at the time in the Bible is called Aram. I think it was an accident of World War I or World War II that they actually changed the name to Syria. But Aram in the north sided with Israel, and it, it looked very strong, and they were actually marching south when Isaiah's prophecy comes into play this morning in chapter 9. Now the king in Assyria was Tiglath-Pileser, and he's a, a mighty king. He is the king of the superpower. He came to Judah's aid. He defeated the northern kingdom and Syria, and Jerusalem survived. Second Kings 15.29 says, In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Leon, Abel-Beth-Machach, Jonah, Kadesh, and Hazor. He took Gilead and Galilee. Now Galilee is that northern area including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. So the northern ten tribes were basically wiped out. Assyria had a uh, decimation policy where they didn't leave defeated people where they grew up. They deported them, and he put Assyrians and other peoples into the area of Galilee, and, and from that time on altered the population there for centuries. And then his successor, Shalmaneser, which isn't really relevant to where we're at right now, but he's the one that succeeded his dad, Tiglath-Pileser, and he's the one that can totally wiped out the northern ten tribes of Israel. So that gives you a little bit of background. Now, Isaiah, at that time, how would you feel if you were in Judah and you saw two nations marching down upon you? Frightening times. And Isaiah was ministering in Judah, speaking good counsel to the king, trust God, he's got this. And instead of trusting God, he turned to the Assyrians, he turned to pagan worship, he desecrated the temple, all kinds of horrible things took place, sacrificed his own kids to try and protect his own country. Everything he did was absolutely dark and wrong and gloom and doom. And into this deep darkness, Isaiah speaks the truth and says, you can trust God's plan, even in those horrible, horrible times. Isaiah 7, earlier, a couple chapters before this, 7 to 14. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will too be shattered to be a people. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So God is saying to Ahaz, stand firm in faith. Don't let the political situation, the military situation, the gloom, the doom, the dark, the leadership that you have is so awful. It, there's nothing good to say. 
The country's going downhill. Paganism is rampant, even among God's people. And he says, God says, stand in faith. Not by sight, right? We walk by faith because God is God Almighty. But despite Ahaz's lack of faith, God is very gracious. And he also gave a sign. And the sign is a very Christmassy passage because this is the sign I think we're all probably familiar with if we've been to church before. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. In other words, Ahaz, if you walk by faith, I will provide a savior for you. I will protect you. I will shield you from the enemies that want to take you down and remove you and kill you and take over your land and paganism to run rampant. God says, trust me, I've got this, and I'll give you a sign too. And we know that that sign, in the end, is Jesus. Our Emmanuel, Matthew's Gospel says he is the Emmanuel that Isaiah is referring to down the road. That's God's sign. So 700 years later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and Isaiah says so much about him in that really dark, dreadful, sad, despairing time. There wasn't a lot of hope in the land. There wasn't a lot of joy in their hearts. It was sad. And here's Isaiah saying, have faith. Trust God. It's going to come out all right. That's what the message would be for us, right? We've got to trust the Lord in the world circumstances we live in, right? God is still God. The truth is still the truth. The Word of God is still powerful and never comes back empty. The Holy Spirit is still moving and active in the world. People are still coming to faith in Jesus. The remnant of believers is always there. There's no cause or room for despair. There's no reason that there should be gloom and doom. The light has come. The dawn has broken. The light shines around the world, and we know him. We know him, and that's a gift from God for us and the world around us. So now I want to go back, and I want to read the first five verses, now that we see how tragically gloom and doom and sad it was, and the threat that they were under, and the horrible leadership that they had. Listen now again to the words. Nevertheless, despite all of that, there will be no more gloom. No more. For those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now that's the area of Galilee. For in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Because the Israelis were removed and Assyria put all these other people in, it became very Gentile, non-Jewish in its outlook. So now it's Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They'll rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In English, we might not catch this, but in the Greek, the marching boots create sort of a trembling on the ground. They're such a vast army. 
and they are defeated because the joy that's expressed with the light dawning, the coming of the Messiah, the Emmanuel, they're also rejoicing and harvest like a harvest. They're so excited and so happy that they're dancing around and the ground trembles under their feet. So you've got the gloom and doom tremble, but you've also got the joyful tremble. Which one wins? Which one is on the winning side? Which one lifts us up? The light of Jesus. That's what Isaiah is saying. And I also found it interesting that the first two regions of Israel that are wiped out by Assyria are the two regions that Jesus goes to first. It says right in Matthew's Gospel, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first to face death and darkness is the first to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. The light has come, shines brightly, a bright light, dispels the darkness, doesn't bring death, but promises and brings life, eternal life. This is the work of Jesus. So what's Isaiah saying? God is going to totally destroy the darkness. No more gloom, no more doom. When we meet the Lord face to face someday, one of my favorite pieces in the book of Revelation at the end of the book says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There is no gloom, no doom, no despair, no sorrow, no sickness, no sadness, no death, no suffering in heaven. It's made just perfect. And that's because of Jesus. And we're so grateful. So, God's people have a lot to be thankful for. And if you didn't catch it, It's the Galilee of the Gentiles. It's not just the Jewish people that rejoice. It's the world at large rejoices with them. Jesus was speaking to the entire world. All of us can be benefited from that. So it's a warm-up. You know, can't you just wait to celebrate? I'm going to be dancing in heaven someday, and I hope the ground trembles. Because there will be so many of us, it's going to be a big party. And that will be a lot of fun. A lot to look forward to. And I was thinking about, uh, you know, we're in a 24 as an election cycle. Don't you enjoy those years? You know, that's usually when I turn off all my social media. I don't even want to hear about it. You know, certain relatives are really prolific in their own points of view, and I just, I, I just kind of hope it goes away. I vote, but remember, I just always consider that I'm in the lamb party. I'm in the lamb party. There's nothing on earth that's going to fix this. The turning to Assyria didn't fix the problem it led to more problems. It, people can't handle what only God can handle. Now I vote, and we should all vote, and we should be participating, that's our country. But always remember, God's got this. God's got this. There's no reason for anxiety or fear or concerns or anything. God is God, he's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. We're his people, we're his children. He'll take care of us, so trust Jesus. Wasn't that the message to Ahaz? You want to live by faith? There's your answer. You want to live by faith. This year has been a, an interesting year. We've, we've been blessed in so many ways. 
God has really enriched our lives here at the church and in my own personal life. I woke up this morning and God, I found, was just touching my heart, getting me ready to preach today, telling me to wake up, get out of bed, get a shower, get dressed, and get to church. Because I was laying in bed and I thought, oh Lord, I'm so extra tired this morning. Why am I so tired? And then I realized it's the holiday season. I have a few extra pounds to haul out of bed now. And uh, Diet is probably coming around the corner in January. My grandkids are going to show up on Christmas Eve and go, Hey, Grandpa, what's up with that? You know, um, hmm. Enjoying every moment. But no matter what the future brings for my grandkids and my kids, I know that God's got this. I still remember when Mary said to me, Dad, how do I keep my boys safe? And I said to her, You can't. The only real safety you can bring your kids is to make sure they know Jesus. We walk by faith, even in the darkest times, because God's got this. God's our protector, our rescuer, our savior through Jesus Christ. That's the answer. So Jesus Christ is our eternal joy, is the second point in our outlines. Jesus Christ is our eternal joy. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The child, of course, is the one and only. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, right? That tells us several things. One, Jesus is fully human. He's born of a woman, so he's fully human. But she's a virgin, and there is no natural material father. This is a miracle of God by the Holy Spirit that he is both God with us and fully human. And that is extremely important. Not just a good teacher, a good example, or a nice guy, a good brother or you know, sibling. This is the point where we realize there's something unique in all the world about Jesus. No one is like him. You know, there's been more written about Jesus in the first century than anyone else in the first century. Did you know that? More than Caesar, more than many other world leaders, Jesus has more written about him. And who was this person? If he's just a human being, he had no money, he had no political power, he had no military behind him, he wasn't a ruler of a country or a CEO of a big company, he was really a nobody in social terms. He lived very poor, walked homeless, never had property, never got married. All the things that would go with social status and that, he didn't have. Why then is more written about this nobody than anybody else because the uniqueness of the fact that he's God with us and the miracles he did and the good news that he brought and his death and resurrection guaranteeing eternal life not by human means but by the miracle of God faith Paul says in Romans over and over we're saved by faith by the grace of God over and over and over and it roots itself in Jesus and what does Jesus do he shoulders the responsibility of governing. It's on his shoulders. He takes that burden upon himself. 
to lead and guide and direct. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Head of the church worldwide. All languages, all cultures, all of his people. God's in charge and he shoulders that responsibility. Is the future of the church worldwide in doubt? Not a chance. Because Jesus has shouldered that responsibility. We're just trying to keep up with him. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to be? That's our call. But Jesus is the leader guiding us and protecting us and adversaries will come, issues will happen, struggles will happen, persecutions may happen, in some parts of the world guaranteed to happen. But Jesus has got this. By faith we know we're safe. So what does Isaiah tell us about him? What is it about this Jesus that's so unique? Well, he's called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. It may seem like he's a place to go for good advice or nice teaching. A lot of people think he's a nice, good teacher. But he's, it means more than that. He's not just, wow, that was a great counseling session. I really appreciate it. Is our 50 minutes up already? It's not like that. It means he's a great planner. An amazing, mind-boggling planner. He's got it all laid out. It's incredible. That's what wonderful is conveying, not, oh, he's so wonderful. It's, wow, mind-blowing. He's got all this figured out. He knows me that well. He knows history like the back of his hand. Wow, it's amazing. That's what it means with wonderful counselor. And what was the biggest plan? To save us, to rescue us to give us eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins. It's all part of the wonderful counselor. Extraordinary, amazing, astounding, in short, wonderful. And I thought, what do we trust in our life? You know, we're like King Ahaz, what do I trust? What do I put my, my ultimate trust in? Is it the IRA, is it the property value, is it Medicare? I mean, you can tell where I'm at. Um, is it um, Social Security someday? Is it the 401k? Whatever it is. Is it someone? Is it something? Things are nice. People are wonderful. But who's got the plan? Who knows exactly what's happening and why and how he's going to move in and through it? The wonderful counselor does. We can trust him. Then he's called Mighty God. Mighty God. Well, he's Emmanuel, certainly. He's God with us. But I think we need to realize that he's saying he's the mightiest of all. Not just a mighty God, but the almighty God. There is no other God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes. Is there any higher authority? Well, Ahaz would say, sure, Assyria's got more power than God does. I trust Assyria, not God. But the truth is, he's almighty God. There's no greater power. Even Assyria was stopped. And then Babylon came along, and Babylon stopped. And then the Medo-Persian Empire came and went. And then the Greek civilization came and went. And then the Roman civilization came and went. And then America, God's got this. God's got this. God knows what's going on. Then he's called Everlasting Father. Now that might create a little, huh? Because we know there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in one God, right? And it's hard to fathom that. If you want to blow your mind, think of nothing. Because the only thing that could exist prior to creation was spirit. And we can't fathom what that is. When we try and explain God, we have to use our terms. 
I like to say, how do you explain the inexplicable in explicable terms? The Trinity is the best effort that we can come up with that helps us understand that, but it's really beyond our understanding. Your brain will start smoking and fizzing if you try and get your head around it. Because what is nothing as far as we can tell? It's what Aristotle said rocks think about. Nothing, not even darkness. You can't fathom anything prior to creation because we're in it. But this is the reality of God. So how does God express himself? Well, he's the everlasting father. What I think he's saying is, this is not God the father who's born of Mary. It's not like the father became the son and then the son became the Holy Spirit, like some transition piece. It's more like saying George Washington is the father of our country. You can't say that literally, but we know what it means. He's the founder of the country. When we say that Jesus is the father, I think the same thing is happening. The kingdom of God is rooted in Jesus who made everything. So we're thankful, God, for that. And the word for father is ab. And if you get into the New Testament, the Aramaic takes over and it's called Abba. We can pray to Abba, Daddy, Father. This is the kind of intimacy that we have with God through faith in Jesus. It's a gift. And then he's the Prince of Peace. Prince means he's got all the authority necessary to rule and reign. And peace is, in Hebrew, shalom. Shalom doesn't mean the absence of conflict. If in Gaza, Israel and Hamas stop fighting each other, have they received peace? Well, in some sense, as we would understand peace, yes. But shalom is miles above that. Shalom in Hebrew means total well-being in its absolute sense. Eternal life, heaven on earth. That is where shalom comes to fruition. And he is that prince who can bring shalom to all who will trust him in faith. That's what it says. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that's the mechanism, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's guaranteed certainty. And then there will be peace between Jews and Gentiles with our common unity in Christ. Ephesians says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. In other words, he fulfilled all the expectations that God had for his people. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away in Oregon City, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In other words, there's not two paths of salvation, there's one, and it's for everybody. And that's Jesus Christ. And then peace, you know, that goes beyond our understanding. Have you ever felt the peace of God that goes beyond your understanding? You don't know why you've got that calm spot or you feel that rest or that you just feel like you're okay and the world around you is falling apart and people can't figure out why you're so calm. Some of my friends have 
said to me, how can you stay so calm? And I don't think it's just personality. You know, I think it's the fact that when things get bad, I do feel it, but at the same time, I know where I go with it. I'm going to talk to God about it. I've been melted down. I've been coughing spiritual dust on occasions in my life. And I turn to God and I say, God, that is a dry time in my life. I'm feeling nothing. Those are hard. But where do we take it? We take it to God. And I found refreshment. It's like I grew and matured in my faith during those times. And then, of course, death comes around and suffering and sickness. The prayer chain is usually pretty active with needs that are out there. Those are hard. Those are dark, gloomy times. But the Lord is the bedrock. See, what joy is, joy is not a feeling. Although I like to sing, joy, joy, joy. You know, it's awesome. But joy is more of a certainty, like a foundation, like a bedrock, that even though the house is falling down around us, the foundation will never go away. Jesus is there. You know it. It keeps you grounded. You know it's going to be all right. Even in the midst of tears, you know it's going to be all right. That's really what joy is, that steady presence of Jesus in your life. That's a gift. So Philippians says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, because God is God, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. There's no explaining it in material, natural terms. In fact, your situation may not change. But will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you experienced that? I have. It's the coolest thing. The peace that God can bring and the, the assured nature of Jesus in our hearts. It's a gift. Peace like that. Solid rock. So Jesus then brought peace without end, peace with God. There will be a wider peace, a whole shalom coming when Christ comes back. But we've got the peace of God now. We know we're okay with God. Then justice without end, untainted by sin. Jesus doesn't cheat, doesn't show favoritism, doesn't allow some to skip by, doesn't say, hey, you're, I like you better than you. Or he doesn't say, hey, you can bribe me and I'll make it better for you. We don't have to try and make God happy with us. We don't have to earn forgiveness. We don't have to do better to have a better spot in heaven. Everybody gets the same reward. We're all co-heirs with Jesus. All of our sins are forgiven. Even on your worst day, you are who you are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Remember that in the book of Romans? If it's by works, grace is no longer grace. And what is grace? Christmas is an interesting time to explain grace to anybody who doesn't know it. Because when we put presents under the tree, if we have a tree, or maybe we're just giving a gift to somebody, like even foster kids, doesn't matter what it is, birthday parties, you name it. When we give somebody something and we don't expect anything in return, it's a free gift here for you. You don't have to pay me back. That's grace. So when we exchange presents for Christmas, we're showing in a material way what God's grace is. It's a free gift from God to us. And that's what the cross does. We don't have to clamber up on the cross. We don't have to keep Jesus up there over and over for us. 
It's a one and done, and by faith, God's grace, that free gift, is given to us. That's the light in the dark. That's God's grace. And then righteousness. His righteousness will never end. The wrong will be avenged by God. All of our hurts, all the things that have happened to us, all the things going on around the world, righteousness is going to take care of it. The poor and the needy, the oppressed, those who are overlooked, who have placed their faith in Jesus, and the world has given them nothing, will find God giving them everything, along with everybody else. Then lastly, the assurance for a lasting joy. How do we know we can count on Jesus? Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's not on us. It's not on your church. It's not on your home devotionals. It's not on music or the magic of Christmas, the season. I mean, I put Christmas music on. It takes me to a different place. How about you? There's something about Christmas music that is transformative, I think, for me in terms of the, the peace or the atmosphere or my attitude. It's pretty cool. Have you found yourself humming little Christmassy tunes? Do you hum those in June? Maybe you do. Yeah, good for you. I find that if, if I'm a little stressed out during the year, all I got to do is go on the streaming sites, you know, and I say, play Christmas music, and it's really weird because I'm suddenly in a different place. There's something very, very special about the Christmas season, and it's all rooted and reminds us of Jesus and what a gift we have received. And remember what Isaiah told Ahaz? You're not going to go down, Ahaz, if you're willing to trust God. Ahaz didn't, but the same message resonates today. We don't have to save ourselves. We cannot bring a dark world tainted by sin and corruption. We are not going to change it by our own physical means, our own hands and feet, our voices. But Jesus is the governing force taking it upon his shoulders. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish what Christ's plans will bring. If you have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, what does that mean? It means you trust him. There was a missionary once years ago who was in the South American area there, and they had a, a group of people who didn't have a word for trust because nobody trusted anybody. It was a constant conflict and serious situations all the time. And so what am I going to do? How do I explain faith? How do I explain trust? And his translator threw himself onto a lounge chair one day, feet off the ground, totally dependent on the chair, and the missionary, the light went on, and he said, Ah, what did you just do? He said, I threw my full weight on the chair. And that became the word for faith, to put your full weight, trust, in Jesus Christ. And remember, it's a gift. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to earn God's love. You don't have to earn God's forgiveness. The zeal of the Lord has already accomplished this through what faith in Jesus Christ brings now and forever. And how long does he rule and reign? And the Bible says forever and ever and ever. And that means forever and ever and ever with him. And I don't know, uh, you know what's in your heart or where your, your trusts are, only you and God knows.
But I just want to take a moment, pause, and if there's anything you'd like to share with the Lord this morning, please do that. If you're not sure what to say, if for the first time you know you think, you know, that makes sense, I, I need to place my life in God's hands. This world is a pretty crappy place sometimes and miserable sometimes, and other times it's really a fun thing. But you know what? Whatever the Holy Spirit's doing right now, I want to leave God room. I'm not here to change your life. The Holy Spirit's here to change your life. So let's just let God breathe. Let's take a moment, be quiet. I'll wait with you, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you that we can talk to you and listen to you. Thank you for your word. Isaiah speaks to us. Emmanuel has come, Lord God, and we're celebrating that, and we are so thrilled. We love to drive around and look at Christmas lights. We love the good food, the special treats we have. We thank you, God, that we can enjoy grace with giving gifts to each other. We thank you, God, that the Christmas tree itself reminds us of life and light the gold and silver, Lord, that the wise men brought his offerings. Lord, with all the symbolism applied, Lord, it's so wonderful. It is a special time of year for us. We thank you, God, that we have life in Jesus. We thank you that Jesus has shouldered the governance of the world. We're thankful that nothing escapes your attention. We're thankful, God, that you lift us up when we're feeling down and you rejoice with us when we're feeling upbeat and happy and thrilled. Lord, thank you. And this morning, if there's anybody that says, well, how do I get this going? How do I connect with you, Lord? I, the simple words. It really is already your work done. Your zeal will do this. But in recognition of it, Lord, we just would say, Lord, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of my sins, all the ones I've been a part of and will be until I meet you face to face. It's all taken care of by Jesus. Thank you. And thank you that when Jesus rose from the grave, I know I have eternal life. I'm throwing my full weight upon Jesus. Thank you, Lord for giving me the faith to believe. And I know that the future is bright because you are the light of the world. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing our closing hymn.
love Christmas songs. Aren't they the greatest? They're so full of joy and excitement and power and wonder and glory. But that's every day with Jesus, if we're mindful, right? Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all of God's wonderful Christmas people can say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget the congregational meeting right coming up in about five minutes. And uh, head down, grab something bitey and chewy and goody, and come back up.